I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Brad. Hey. Good evening to you, it is my good friend. Brad, I think I could call you old friend now. Yeah, cool. That's cool. Right? It's going on a pretty seven, long time. It's probably like what? I actually, you know what? I was going back to some of the old episodes when I was looking for like a flashback Friday episode. And I was actually kind of shocked that you started officially co-hosting like within our like second year i think yeah it was early earlier than i thought yeah earlier than i thought for sure and when i went back and saw that i had a little more i felt like i had a little more liberty (laughs) to pick up the show absolutely like i've been i've been around for a minute you know or my stripes yeah i kind of felt like you came in the last like year and a half but no dude you were there like the second year yeah old school dog for everything old school so we got to start dropping these at the top, right? Because we are going to be sound businessmen today. <laughs> we have a Patreon, right? And it is it is what funds this show. As you'll notice, you didn't hear yes. an ad at the beginning of this unless you're mm-hmm. listening to it like five months from now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Before we potentially sell out. But we do fund this program. Through our Patreon, we post extra content. There'll be a lot from this interview on there. We post funny photos of me and masks. We write (laughs) weird stuff. We have even the old unreleased episodes and videos that Brad puts up there. And of course, our Thursday night Discord fireside chat, which is an absolute pleasure. And we hang out in there. Um, So if anybody has enjoyed past episodes of Going Off Track or plan on enjoying this one, please throw us a couple shekels over at uh, the Patreon. Patreon.com slash going off track. <laughs> so for this interview, I'm excited. Okay. Yeah. This is a local unicorn, <laughs> a local legend. One of these people who, when I, when I met this human, this was a fully formed human, you know, <laughs> I was like, this is a dude, this is a force, but I had no idea where he came from, what the actual story was. And uh, I was dying to know. And I think we um, need to get into more stuff like this. You know, the people who actually make our industry tick. Oh, man. For me, I love the behind the scenes stuff. I could do like, I could do so many like road dog stories for sure. Oh, yeah. I love it. So 
So this is Matty O'Brien, New Jersey legend. He owns and operates Dogwig Printing down in Manasquan, but spent many, many years on the road with uh, Sick of It All, with the Mighty Mighty Boston's, with Black Train Jack. Uh, knows the Bouncing Souls intimately and watched them, you know, form at the commercial Ave House and and take off and was kind of the, you know, one of the right hand men at the beginning trying to get the whole ship afloat. And he's just this uh, fantastic storyteller, spins a lot of yarns. You won't find a person in this industry or in New Jersey who doesn't love Maddie. And uh, I thought, who better to come and co-host this show than a uh, old friend of the program, Dave Haas? Yeah. Who uh, subsequently took his job from Sick of It All right. um, and started going out on the road just a little, you know, generation behind. But this was a lot of fun, man. Oh, and, my God. And what so good. Good stories. I mean, <laughs> I knew about Sick of It All being being tough, being New York guys, you know, having that thing. But, oh, I didn't know this much, Brad. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> Goodness gracious. That was, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, I, I, I listened to some of it. And, you know, I have stories from my touring years that were tough and wild and pretty crazy. <laughs> And I'm like, fuck, I didn't do that. No way, dude. That's some like next level shit. You wouldn't survive it. <laughs> no, no. I feel like it's like a mixture of like a punk rock show and just like a smoky billiards hall. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't have stood a chance. <laughs> no, I definitely would have stood a chance <laughs> against yeah. any of these guys. <laughs> I know. This is a great interview. Thanks to uh, Kate Hiltz and Brian Keenlin for giving me some some awesome insight into the old days as usual. And uh, thanks to Dave House, Dave Haas. <laughs> I always find, I did that whole interview with Dave House like <laughs> two months ago and said his name wrong the entire time. So maybe I should just keep it going now. Yeah, but, he's used to it by now. Yeah, let's get into this because this is a, uh, a long and fun interview with, uh, with Matty O'Brien. This guy gives me a Chevy 1988 C20 blue van, two seats up front, empty in the back. Beautiful. This was a dream. <laughs> this, this is, this, I mean, my, like my life, talking about pivot in your life was that moment. Like, wow. I have a van. Yeah. And bands are, bands are oftentimes idiots and they can't keep it together to have a van. <laughs> right. And so at this point I had met people like Ernie from Token Entry and, and, and he had a band in called Black Train Jack that lived in New York that was would play a lot with souls and, and play all these shows. But every time they showed up, they had a rental van. Oh, okay. And I was like, Oh, I was like, you guys rent a van every weekend? They're like, yeah, we rent it from barn r rental on Northern Boulevard. Okay. Northern right. Boulevard. And, uh, <laughs> and so I was like, if you guys wanted to rent my van, I would drive it. And then pick you up and wow. go to these shows. And they were like, are you kidding? It's way better than Bond. Like, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So that was, that was how I started. Ladies and gentlemen, he's doing Ernie That was Ernie. Parada yeah, that was an Ernie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it sounds exactly like the actual man that he's, he's uh, impersonated. <laughs> it's true. To the point where I'll be on the phone with Maddie and we'll be gabbing. I'm going to Ernie. And I'll think Ernie had entered the call. What? 
It's so it's such a dead on impression. Oh, I have one question for you, my friend. I, so, so Which is I, never true. It's seven hundred. So many questions, rapid fire. Um, forget any of your questions. You're just going to answer. <laughs> <laughs> You're only going to answer Ernie's questions, and then he's going to say, "All right, look, uh, send me a text. I got to go. All right, I got to go. I got to go." <laughs> but so I had, I had made a couple of these connections, and, and then I, had, I guess, proven my value to be like a guy who was dependable to drive you and carry your gear and, and just, you know, carry, carry equipment. And, and we're all in the pretense of like, I like going to the shows. I want to be at these shows for, you know, I didn't really have money. So this is a way to get to shows. This is a way to go other places. Well, it's funny. Were, yeah. It almost sounds like you found value in being like the person who's not fucked up and being the one who can keep their shit together a little bit. This was, yeah, this was sort of like a, a built in value that, you know, being, being dependable and, and being sober and, and, you know, take, I guess taking it seriously, I, I don't know if it was a job, but still taking it seriously to say, okay, uh, it's my van. Like I, I took me a while to get to this point. I have a van, like I drive it to be, it's not, it's not carrying on all the time. And those guys were, you know, with Ernie and, and with Black Train Jack, they, there was not a, that was not a, a partying van and vehicle and stuff. Right, so you right. were like, but they were like serious musicians and, and these shows were, were pretty good and all over, you know, Southeastern Pennsylvania and, and down t- to DC and, and up to that, you know, Connecticut, Boston. And, and, and they were like a bigger band than the souls. They were, they-, they were like neck and neck, you okay, know, okay. like gotcha. there was places that the souls were definitely bigger. And then, but like Ernie had the token entry lead in. And so right. there was like all these places, scattered across Pennsylvania, these little shows in, in, in Phoenixville's and, and, and Havertowns. And, you know, you're like, they love us here, you know, and he'd be like, they love us here. And so you go there and, and there'd be, you know, 400 kids to see Black Train Jack. And then they would bring souls. And then, you know, it, would, it was right. like a, it would feed off each other and stuff, but like city gardens, it seemed like, the, you know, souls kind of had a, had a leg up in the Jersey thing. And, and, and then, all of that same time, 92, 93-ish, like the city sort of emerged from its weird like punk and hardcore being violent and gross and CBs wouldn't have you, really have you play and stuff like that into like, okay, Continental is a place that has cool small shows. And right. Then, then Coney Island started to sure. do a couple of years and CBs would have shows and, and there was a place called the, the Grand, which had been the Cat Club and... and there were a lot of venues to play where it was kids. It was kids coming into the city from Jersey and coming in from right. Long Island and coming in from, you know, Westchester, different places and to see bands. And, right. and so it's, sort I of, was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you were like, that would be the right time to be like, there's, these are young kids coming in to yeah. shows. 16 and, 16 and over. I'd like to say, you know, you're talking about this rebirth in New York, and I'd like to think it was probably my friends and I who who did it. It definitely was. No. I, <laughs> By attending I was like, shows at 14 years old. Yeah, That's was, when Benny came to the city. Yeah. Benny cruised in. You're welcome, New York took, City. He took notes. He said, I'm going to take some notes on this, and I'm going to go back and start booking That's right. shows. That's exactly, right. Which, which you did. So, um, so there was, you know, so there was some of this and, and, and I guess those bands in New York, like, 
uh, were ha- you know the post hardcore bands were kind of happening, quicksand right. shit yeah. like that. So there, there was big. shows. There were shows like that to be you know the bands those black chain would support and kind of there was momentum there. Um, so it wasn't almost as if like all these bands you know, you were friends with like souls and black train Jack and all them. It's, it's almost not like they got bigger. It's like just the scene got bigger. The availability got bigger and they it just sort of, went with yeah. it because they were there already. Yeah. There was, it, it, it started to be, there started to be more, I guess, you know, it was like, it was a build, building momentum. And, and then, you know, that, that the city was not in this, in that weirdo looking for the next Jane's addiction thing you know, all A and R people drinking at at Pyramid Club, or right, or uh, it was like, oh, there's just 200 kids outside of CBGBs on a on a Sunday to see Mind Over Matter and and Bouncing Souls and right. you know, these other bands. So um, it it gained. Momentum. Was there a change That's, in those guys and like the Souls and Black Train Jack and those? You know, were they seeing um, their path as maybe more legitimate and possible? When yeah, that started yeah. Like the, like the souls in ninety three ish. The souls adopted. You know, they they like called. I think they called Discord, and they called the Stearns at BYO, and they might have called Seven Seconds, like Kevin Seconds. Okay, and we're like, like okay, Positive Force BYO Discord. Like, what should we do? You know, we have to like galvanize in some right. way. Okay, and so. Mm. They were, and and maybe the Stearns called them back, you know, and he was probably like, you better just do it yourself, you know, and, and uh, so they, that's, you know, they, they knew, they were, they were on their own path. We're going to press a record, we're going to save our money, we're going to press this record that we own, you know, maybe they'd already done the green one and then they were moving on to the, um, those seven inches, the Argyle seven inch and shit like that. Like, we'll pay to record, we will press the record. We'll have 2,000 of them. We play to that many people over a couple months. We'll sell them all. We have a van. We can do it, you know. And Black Chain Jack kind of had a little bit of a weird, a different thing that they went from like a couple demo tapes and then, bam, they were signed to Roadrunner. Right. And it was like, oh, this is going to, like, we're we're on a label. There's, you know, everyone, of course, everyone. We were signed to Roadrunner. Roadrunner (laughs) called right away. And Howie (laughs) Abrams was at Roadrunner. and, And I said, we are going on tour that we are going places. Things are going to happen. So, and those guys, you know, Ernie was the, Ernie was the veteran of the whole thing a little bit. He had been signed to Roadrunner before took an entry. So this, uh, <laughs> he claims, I got to just interject here. Just yeah. I don't know that this is the best interjection, but Ernie claims when he's telling this part of the story, black train Jack's like sort of rise. He claims that they were so red hot that he, I would turn my amplifier on. The red light would go on. We'd be in Florida. No one's in, no one lives in Florida. No one's ever heard of the place. We would, I would turn my amplifier on in 1993 and the crowd would go wild. And I'm so, you know, and this is when I met Ernie, I'm, I'm wrapped. I'm like, yeah. well, okay, tell me. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. You've been to Florida. So I'm like, I think people know who where Florida is, Ernie. But all, all right, yeah, but it's not New York City. Yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's a, that's a dump. I didn't yeah. even know why we we're there. If you're the from Queens, we're ready. Yeah, right. Yeah. This is a man who still lives in the same house. Yeah, lives shouting distance across the alley from the house he always lived in. Like that's, that's right. That's my mother's house. They anyway, consider so- they consider New Jersey the American mainland, like Manhattan, Rhode <laughs> Island. <laughs> totally. And like, and you only really went there to go to Disneyland. 
like to go to, to as, <laughs> and if someone you knew went to college in Connecticut, like otherwise, there's no point to leave those islands. You know? So anyway, I would turn my amplifier on, and the crowd would go nuts. And then Green Day happened. Yep, it was, and it all vanished. We were an afterthought. We were. And he tells it. He tells it in <laughs> such a way you're hanging on every word. And in Ernie's mind, like. The only thing that separated Black Train Jack from being the Foo Fighters was, Green was Day. that Green Day yeah. came along. Green Day snuck in there and stole the They thing. snuck in there and suddenly they were a little younger. Yep. I'm like, they wrote really good songs. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, they were okay. Yes, yeah. they were okay. <laughs> but it was more of that California thing. Yep. And Queens was out the door. Uh, there was no one cared. He, his, his big problem. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He, that's what I'll tell you. Then no one cared. No I went to get a cared. job. That's it. Yep. That's it. I went and got a job. His his rub, his rub with that whole thing was was they were playing the, the style of music that they were playing, which I guess would fall into like pop punk. Uh, yeah, right. These days, yeah, I mean, it didn't exist right. in that format yet. But yeah, yeah. in right. 1992, that's in that period pre Dookie Green Day. Yeah, um, but you were playing alongside of uh, demise. And Biohazard, right. and and you know, <laughs> right. these are the other, right. these are the other bands on your label and yeah. shit. You're playing at Studio One in Newark, and yeah. and your best you friends are Murphy's Law. Like, yeah, right. you, you stood fault. out. <laughs> like, you stood out. Like, oh my god, this guy actually has a melody. There's a there's right. the three chords make sense, you know. And so, He's super and, but he young always and cute. Oh, just. Positive energy. We're not trying to kill anybody. And so this, but then unbeknownst to him somehow that, you know, all these things were happening in California and and, and stuff. Not not that he's uninformed. Now, where is California? That's out west or or what? You go through New York. When you go through the Holland Tunnel and just go straight, and then there's San Francisco. That's it. (laughs) Oh, wait, wait. Right in the middle is Pegboy, Chicago. Unbelievable. That's it. Unbelievable. And you go all the way there, and then there's social distortion and descendants. It's very good. Yeah, um, very good. Very good. We went. We played the farm in San Francisco. We played the farm, and, and we played uh, uh, Fender's Ballroom. We did – and people went crazy, you know. We did $1,200 in merch. Yeah. So – <laughs> and then, so, so it was sort of you know he had a very he, uh, people sometimes people from Queen, from Queens have a, have a very myopic look at things like yeah. if it's not happening in New York it couldn't be happening and oh he still thinks that he still <laughs> thinks that rooting for the Sixers or, or rooting for the Nets <laughs> is like why would you do that when you can root for New York yeah <laughs> the, <laughs> the Knicks are going to be a five hundred team they're going to be five hundred <laughs> and you're like hey Aaron. The Sixers have been leading the East the entire season. No, first best, second best record but, in the league. But yeah, why yeah, would you root for the Sixers? If three more wins, the Knicks could be five hundred. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Everyone loves this team. I grew, up, I grew up with people raised in Queens, and I can yeah. confirm. I mean, yeah. literally yeah. Manhattan to them. That was oh. that was a trip. Yeah, right. that was that was the weekend. You know what I mean? It was yeah. like going over the bridge. We are going we're, into we're, the into the city. Yeah, we're going for cheesecake in Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, yeah. the same thing is true for Craig uh, Satari from from Sick of It All. Like, yes. I have a couple friends that that hail from Queens, the Sick of It All guys, Ernie, and they still. I mean, maybe not the rest of Sick of It All, but Craig is a similar type of of. He has a similar approach to other cities. He's like, well, Philadelphia, that's not a real place, is it? I mean, <laughs> oh, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a, and I'm like, dude, it's it's 
it's the only like you can't start a band in New York in 2020 or like how can you even afford to live in New York? Yeah, it costs too much money. Like Philly's a real place. That's nah, not a real place, kid. Uh, it's just, just funny these older guys that still, you know, because they lived and survived and maintained a life in New York, they they still think it's the world that revolves New York. around New York. No, listen, right. I I don't even. I was born in New Jersey, and I'm raised by people like that. Yeah, and I still basically think like that. Sure. Do you really? Oh, Dude, that's interesting. I mean, especially your- concerning Philadelphia, David. We've had a lot of talks <laughs> about that. <laughs> We've had a couple How chats. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. You you are only one generation away from that same thinking. It's interesting. Like that it New is? York is, yeah. is, you know, because if you think about it, even culturally, now I, I may be stepping in a giant pile of shit here, but <laughs> New York, what has New York really brought? <gasps> In terms of like a music scene, like nothing for a long time. We're talking about like 20 years. I mean, since the Strokes and the National and all that, like that would probably be like the last rock thing, right? I mean, maybe rock, you know, but there's a lot of But obviously hip hop and stuff. LCD sound system. Yeah, but I I just mean as a cultural hub, like what it's... Well, all culture flows through New York at some point, you know? At some point, yeah, but it doesn't, it's it long past are the days where like it, a scene is generated and blows up in new york it, it just it's it's kind of financially almost impossible yeah, now. I, but is, I is that happening everywhere you know like, yeah. like well, I, yeah, do, that's true. I do think yeah, that's yeah. a fallout of you know digital internet culture as well because even maddie right. just talked about it you know maybe 10 minutes ago this idea black train jack was a big up-and-coming band and right. to them, getting out of the city and doing well was to take a trip to fucking Haverford, Pennsylvania with Matt. Yeah, right. You know what right. I mean? And that was the scope. And like, yeah, so sure, the sure. idea that everything stays like, you know, much more local and authentic in that way. And the idea that, you know, you can be 14 years old, put your song on YouTube, you know, talk to kids from Los Angeles. Like before you sure. know it, you're not even you're not even in your scene. You're not even in your home. Town, yeah, you know, yeah. and right. every city in America is being gentrified like fuck. So yeah, yeah exactly. Like yeah. this is true for San Francisco. It's true for most of L.A. That's Nashville. Yeah. It's like and, yeah. and, and Philly. You know, I've heard a bunch of people go. I oh, can't. Sure. I can't even fucking go to Fishtown anymore. <laughs> well, right? No, that's that's totally true, and and that'll be the next thing. But it is. It, I just was more commenting on how these men, you know, even in the last ten years, the, the Ernie or Craig or yeah, any yeah. of these older guys to us, they still think like you can't you can't root for the Nets. The Knicks are right yeah. here. It's like yeah, yeah. You know, the world changed. It changed, dude. It's not all about. You know, the whole world is not really revolving around the Empire State. I've literally met people who quit liking baseball when the Brooklyn Dodgers left. Yeah, yeah. exactly. (laughs) They still haven't gotten over it. No, no, no. They never will. They'll die. It's hard. You can't tell them, like, that you'll get into a problem if you tell them that the Giants actually play in New Jersey. Like, oh, oh, no. But that's yeah. the media. You you go like, here, welcome to Giant Stadium. And then you just see yeah. a picture of the New York yeah. skyline. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. Like, Come on. You're in fucking Sea Caucus. Let's be you're honest. Over there in the, you're in the fucking, you're <laughs> in the swamp. You're in the yeah, swamp. Right. Jimmy Hoffa's right there. Like, come on. Exactly. Let's be real. Like the Sopranos go-go bar is right up yeah. the street. All yeah. right, Maddie, <laughs> I got to ask you this question before we get yes. too far. So, so we're talking about these really influential 
interesting bands that are really important to people. And, you know, over the years, even with your business and touring, you've watched a ton of bands come and go. And from, from your seat, I wonder what you think are kind of the fundamentals to successful bands. Like what do the good ones do to, to, to make it happen and to keep it going? And what are the, the markers of the, the bad ones and the ones who can't? Well, I, the, what I've learned, I guess at this more advanced age is the, the good ones, the people that figure out that they can create music together happily and not have to be every minute absorbed or wrapped up in each other's lives mm. is, uh, is a key because mm. these bands that, and my concept of a band maybe from living with the souls was you're basically a band and a gang and a family and brothers and everything has to happen together. And you all, you know, you all work on it together and everyone's input is equal and, and all this shit. And, and then coming to realize like a band can be, you know, a guy, a guy or two guys who write really good songs. And then a bunch of musicians who come in and say, I'm thrilled to be in this band because I can do my thing as a musician mm. with, with them. Um, the good ones probably they work hard. They don't take themselves too. You know, at, at a point you can't take yourself too, too seriously. Like right. this, is a, this is some shit I made up. I hope you like it, you know? And, and, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and, 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 and this will be for the next two hours, this is going to cost you $65 for the next two hours of your life to listen to me do some shit that I made up. And, uh, um, so, and, but, that, well, but that would be like some, that model you just described, you probably saw that in like the boss tones, right? Where when you worked for them, you're like, okay, this isn't necessarily a gang. This is, it's, well, a couple guys are running this with, it, it's more of like an enterprise, I you, guess, you, right? When you work for them. You get to see it. Well, like early on when I, when I first encountered the boss tones and, and was on tour with them as with Blackstreet Jack and then, and then getting a job to work with them. And they seemed very coalesced around the, that sort of we're all together in this idea. We all work, but coming to learn that not everybody wrote the songs and, and it was, you know, there was a, a sort of a, a, a brain trust and Gittleman and, and Nate and Dickie were, were really the driving force, you know, but Joe was an amazing drummer and the horns were also very important. Like everything that came in there was, and and the, they always the the equitable treatment that they gave each other always seemed to work really well. Um, not elevating one person really too far, any one person too far above the others. Whether right. it would be that they were the front man or the songwriter or the ripping guitar guy or or you know whatever. Um, so my understanding of a band had to change from being young to to now and and to be like well who puts out the music who puts out good music that I like or who continues to put out good music that I like um, you know you definitely have to have the as a, as a, as a songwriter or a musician you have to have a passion for it like I said don't take yourself too too seriously um, work at it and and 
and you got a shot, you know, like, but, but going way back to, to in the beginning, it was like, you had to, you should have good gear. You should <laughs> right. get yourself some good gear. You should get yourself a van. Like you should be prepared. If that phone rings and someone says, come play, you should, you and your guy should be ready to go. Like mm. that was, that was what I saw as a young person. And then, and so that attitude mattered for what I saw, you know, for like people that were uh, other bands that maybe got passed by on opportunities that were like, well, we can, we can only tour in the summer. We can do, you know, I'm right. Right. I call, yeah. you know? and it was like, Oh, why is this, this band's great, but people don't get to see them or they don't sure. want to tour that much. Or, you know, one guy thinks that they, he, they should be making way more money than the other. Right. And, and so, <laughs> uh, so right. it really, you know, Ultimately, for for the music that I enjoy now, um, and and what bands do, and I'm like a bad example because I don't, I'm not current with anything buying sure. records. Like <laughs> sure, I, sure. Like my my Spotify, I don't even know password. Like you know, I hear I hear a lot of music from other people at work and and shit, but I am not like up to date on anything. Well, you still hire but, eager young punks, so I'm sure there's still some. We hi- luckily, my, I mean, a good portion of my life. My and my musical knowledge has been bolstered by people that were willing to work in here with us and and had a better CD collection or a better sure. better iPod. That being said, now what's what's a kiss of death? What's something like you see or hear from a band where in your head you're like, "All right, good luck to you," but <laughs> not happening. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I probably have. A, 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 I probably for a long time had a very stringent set of rules, you know, like, <laughs> do not be on stage wearing fucking flip flops and, and, <laughs> you know, do not like a lot of appearance things and sure. you know, <laughs> shit that would be corny or, you know, I mean, early on, I was like, if you are not playing a Les Paul, like and you, if you, if you don't have a, you know, a JMP Marshall, like if you have a solid state amplifier, like uh, get the <laughs> fuck out of here. You know, like I, which is like, certainly in the world of hardcore and you're like, I have to take this guy seriously. He's got a single coil pickup plugged into a 50 amp crate amplifier. It sounds like my fucking toaster on overdrive. <laughs> and it's supposed, this is supposed to be heavy music. Like get this, get this Charvel Jackson shit out of here. And, and please get at least fucking save your money and get an Epiphone Les Paul knockoff, you know, get a fucking humbucker, but, um, get a but I've, humbucker. I've come to learn that you can do, you know, you, you soften as you get older in the middle and other places, um, that, that you like music that wouldn't appeal to me. And I'd be like, Oh, that's so whack. And that's corny. And, and, and you know, this, who's doing that? Or I can't believe they go on stage like that. Or can't believe, you know, I was like, Oh, rancid is like headlining a beer garden festival. I mean, like, it's like three quarters sober guys or four sober guys. I don't know. You know, like guys that were, have long since moved away from alcohol and they're the headliner of the brew, you know, brewery craft brew world tour fucking festival thing. I was like, oh, it's kind of a weird mix, you know? Yeah. But I've kind of dropped all that shit. Like, I don't care. I, you know, I'm like, what am I going to care? Like, you know, I see, I mean, and stuff that doesn't appeal to me uh, in music and in, 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 I guess, popular music and in, in the Takeshi six nines and shit. Like, I'm like, I don't even stuff. I'm like, I don't even understand. I couldn't believe that for one minute 
more than 10 people would pay attention to this. And <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that looks like there's 200,000 people in the crowd at that show. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, I've sort of dropped my, uh, my filter down to very low and I've opened my ears to say if something comes on and, and I like the sound of it, I'm just go with that. I just go with it, you know? And then somebody tells me like, Oh, that's a, a blink One Eighty Two from their B side compilation song. And I'm like, ah, oh, was never really, you know, I never really cared for that group for whatever reason. That's a good song, you know? Right. right. Like, I mean, we, when I grew up, Likely performed in flip flops. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and a bucket. written, recorded, and performed in, in flip flops. Yeah, many open toed shoes. He, oh god! <laughs> this whole, like, and this is the other thing. Like, growing up without the internet and without social media, you know, so you didn't see all this shit. You the, right. the amount of things that you saw was still photos, Rolling Stone or Thrasher magazine, and, and very little, you know, some MTV shit. At, at times and, and limited outlets, fanzines and stuff. So you would have, like, it shocks me if I scroll through Instagram and, and, you know, uh, punk, punk videos, punk rock videos at punk rock videos, whatever account has rancid playing a, a you know, a outdoor show. And Tim Armstrong has like a Gilligan's hat from Gilligan's <laughs> Island on, you know? And, and I'm like, you know, I kind of like lumped bucket hats in with Smash Mouth in my mind. Yeah. But there's there's an amazing songwriter of, of my generation who's certifiably platinum in his punk rock world up there in a bucket hat, you know, a haggard ass bucket hat, you know, <laughs> tired ass Bob Denver's leftover bucket hat. But, <laughs> so maybe he got it from the guy from Smash Mouth. Probably took it right off him. So, so, so I, my filter is way down. You couldn't see all these things, but growing up, you know, you would say like, like a band, like face to face, you know, was on fat records and came out and you're like, these songs are very well constructed, very audibly pleasing songs. And everyone said, these fucking white trash dudes are from Bakersfield Victorville, California, and they were all heavy metal dudes. Hmm. And you're like, well, we can't like them, you know? Right, <laughs> like, right, right, right. You're like, but this, I cannot get, the, I've been driving for two hours and the song is stuck in my head, you know? And yeah. You're like, oh, why? What's my problem? Like the guy, you know, oh, now he's like a Fred Flintstone version of Mike Ness, but, but, <laughs> well, what am I looking, what's, what's fucking me up here? It's me that's fucking me up with my eyes and not right. my ears, you know? Right, right. I could just keep driving to Chicago and humming along to that, you Take know? this song. Yeah. yeah, you fuck it, you know? So. Right, you're supposed to like some horrible third-rate straight-edge band from Connecticut. Oh, that's, that's what you're supposed to like in the van, but what you really like is that face-to-face record. Yeah, or yeah. Whatever. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I found that to be such a weird thing with with punk that, you know... The songs are undeniable, as we all, we can all agree on that. Sure. And, you know, to me, with music in general, it's always like, well, who wrote, who writes a song that sticks in my head? Who writes a song that's compelling, et cetera? And all those rules, you know, it, it, it was so bizarre to me. Like, this band sucks. I get why you guys are all, you think you're supposed to, like, jump on top of each other to like this. Yeah, yeah. This one particular straight edge thing or whatever, fill in the right. blank. Yeah. But the band is terrible. Right. And, and that always bugged me that, that you know, 
that those rules existed because they really did back then. Like now, right. now it's less. It's, so. it's a free for all now. Well, yeah. we're all, yeah. we're also old. Like, like I think we all right. got over it. You know right. what I mean? Sure. At some That's point, old. it's like yeah. the same reason why every punk rock kid has like a copy of On the Road in their book collection. Like, of course, not yeah. that good of a book. <laughs> Guy died being a white trash guy who hated Jews. Like, right. Like, but enjoy this on your collection. Like, everybody yeah, has yeah. You have, we have right. to, we have to, these staples that we have yeah, to. Yeah, like all these to. rules, so many rules. Yeah. And that was, was more rules than I could even, you know, oh. the whole thing was no rules. And you get in there, you're like, oh, it's only rules. It was <laughs> all rules. I mean, and then yeah. you, cause you, these scenes were so narrow, they were small. Yeah. And then you could be like, oh, this is narrow. Like, yeah. If a band like, if a band like, oh, God, you know, Hoover, shows up in, at, you know in New Brunswick in 1992 and these guys all had they had fucking beards like Abraham Lincoln you know and <laughs> and, and I was like no beards no fucking beards like well, I don't know what the fuck you know was going on and like Chuck Reagan and Hot Water hadn't made it made it safe for beards you know or Avail hadn't made it safe for beards yet but but I was like what the fuck you know and they're like and you so you're using the wrong part of your brain to like narrow these things out and i, I and wonder then, what were you associating beards with at the time like old cinnamons and rippers i, I, I couldn't something? even i couldn't even grow one it was like <laughs> it was a, it was an impossibility you know and i was like oh a guy with a fucking beard like what what's wrong just fucking shave your face you know like we well, none of the bands you're describing like uh black train jack bouncing souls um in in boss tones not a single beard. There are a few goatees, maybe, but but not oh, a single full that's beard. True. Oh wow! I think we're in we're any of those pinpointing groups. something here with Maddie. No, yeah. well, I mean Steinkoff has that grease, that greasy thing, that greasy beard thing. He's oh, got. he got a beard. You're now. a fucking now, baby yeah. facist. Oh, back then, yeah, there was no. I mean, let's dude, cancel dude, Maddie. He, he hates beards. One, one quick razor and, and poop, poop, and you're okay, done. Like, and Keelan would do it. Keelan would do a nice, like, chop, like a fancy beard, you know, like a chin strap. Like, these were things that happened in, 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 in over that time. Like, goatee, of course, like goatees, sick of it all, and goatees are, are inseparable, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know. You need and, a and, soul like, patch to be in sick yeah, of all. Yeah. House of Pain, <laughs> like, like you had this, this, and you're like, okay, so goatees kind of go with like tough New York. Okay, got it. And then, yeah. you know, or like, like, like chin strap beard, like sick of it all had a concept. Like, if you had that beard, that, that thin line beard that went down along your jawline and around and then back up, uh-huh. that it was like you had a detachable face. Like, you could, <laughs> You could, you know, it was like one of those plastic masks. You could take off Listen, at that beard line, you know? Take it from me. There's only one reason people do that. The trench strap is very slimming. Okay. It's That's very it. slimming. Yes. Exactly. It's good for a chubby face. It, I did uh, it, it for de- years. It delineates the, uh, the, the, the chin area yeah, from the just neck. Just take it out yeah. of the equation. Yeah. Um, exactly. Well, speaking of those, that crew, can you, yes. can you tell me a little bit about when you were working the sick of it all job? Yes. And you handed it over to young David here. Oh, okay. Now, wh- what was that? Like, why did you trust young David? What What was his vibe back then? <laughs> I just, I want to back up a little bit and just say that there was, <clears throat> there was a small crew between. Little interim. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ma- okay. Maddie's, Maddie's tenure and mine. I punted and, and, and it took a minute for Dave to pick up the ball. Um, uh, that's right. I had to get through high school. Yeah, well, and, and that beer distributor. 
Yeah, that's right. The beer distributor, fondue yeah. manager, you know. Right. You get through a few of those to, to land at the illustrious At, at the uh, guitar job. tech. Sick of oh, no, guitar. I started as drum tech. Drum tech. Now, I still know four things about the drums, and that's just each of their names. You know, <laughs> drum, snare drum. Snare drum. But, but right. here I was. Symbol. Drum tech. Could you, pr- <laughs> now, okay, quick question. Could you pronounce the brand of the symbol? Can I? Yeah. Zildjian. Okay. Right? It sounds good to me. I mean, Benny's a drummer. He can confirm. Yeah, that um, works. And what's the other one that begins with a P? Paiste. Okay. <laughs> as, well, at the, so as I came into the sick of it all job, 90, Black Chain Jack skated out into, into real life. Ernie got married and stuff, and, and there was no he, – he was not comfortable with being on tour as a way to make an income. And Another quick aside: Why would you want to go play <laughs> for money anywhere but New York City on a Friday night? <laughs> this is insane. He asked me this one time. <laughs> You're telling me you want to be there in Germany, Hamburg, or whatever the hell? It on a Friday so night, far. you could be home. It is so far from your home. You could not be farther from your home. You could not even watch <laughs> Seinfeld reruns. I, I do not understand. Look, not you understand. realize when you get into conversations with Ernie like this. That you're just coming from such a different perspective, even though you're friends and even though you yeah, have a yeah. deep love for one another, you're like, this guy thinks about me <laughs> so oh, different yeah. for me. Cause I'm like, yo, we get to be here. This is Cologne. You should Cologne, have Cologne. It's, it's not even a real place. You should That's have not er- a place. You should have Ernie on the, on, on for sure. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds I, bad. What do you want to talk to I, me I, for? I'll <laughs> listen in as, I mean, you, you might oh, have to have yeah. a, a panel, but it, very negative. And very it would negative. quickly dispute the fact that, that any of these things that we said are the, true. I never said any of that. Are you crazy? Um, so sick of it all, I, I got the job. I got the job. I segued nicely off of a Black Train Jack tour opening for Sick of It All. Um, and they That's what they do. They poach yes, the poach. opener's roadies. They approved of my work ethic and oh, yeah. coming you know, a couple months later said, We need another guy to come work for us because Toby is not gonna tour with us anymore. He's mm-hmm. gonna start uh, or commit himself to his group. H2O. And so I'm like, okay, you know, and so everybody kind of moved up the ladder. I, I got the merch job and, uh, and the guy who had the merch job, TS had moved, moved up to become the drum tech. And so immediately, like I learned all these things about, about the former roadies that had been there. Toby was one of them. And, and that he had a hard, <laughs> hard <laughs> <laughs> He had a difficult time pronouncing Zildjian, um, and and off, often ha- having to say, "Oh, oh but uh, I think I left. I think I, I, the, the, I left the, all the Zanians at, at, at the show yesterday." <laughs> anyway, yeah, isn't that one of those famous Toby stories uh, yeah, a- that he once not only did he forget the drum kit, <laughs> but he left it set up at the club. <laughs> I can't. Oh, yeah. I cannot. Con- he left an entire drum kit <laughs> set up at the previous. Oh. I, I cannot confirm on that, but but I I knew that there was a struggle with the pronunciation. I mean, the way they write the word is, on the things is difficult. But it was, Zanian, Zanian. So yeah. So he struggled. Uh, emphatically, with it looks nothing like Zanian. Yeah. Well, <laughs> through, through his eyes, he, he took a different look. But he, he look, he got out of there and blazed his own path to, to success in, in another way. Didn't have to worry about what was doing with the drums. And uh, 
So, so Dave, you you had big big shoes to fill. Um, <laughs> coming in as a drum tech. Yeah, all I had to do was not leave them at the club. Pretty good. I had to just yeah. get them into yeah. the van. How old were you, Dave, when that happened? How was I when Toby left them behind? Or like when you when you picked when up you got the gig? No, I'm kidding. I was um, I must have been 22, something like that. And okay. and I knew Maddie via um at that point he was already successfully printing shirts, so he was uh to me like I had this I had that band Step Ahead that that yeah. Benny you gave us a couple shows there oh, in yeah, Jersey, yeah. and then I knew that. We are- Maddie printed shirts for real bands. Like right. he printed shirts for the Bouncing Souls and and sick of it all. And, and they thanked him. This was back when the thanks list was like your <laughs> your key into oh, huge the, yeah, the world. Yeah. You'd read Who's and, who? who did the, who did they thank and, and this and that. Well, I knew Dogwig was a t shirt printer, so we at least had enough fans to print a couple dozen shirts, and that's who I called. And Beautiful Maddie, Ben Franklin design. Flyer, that's right. We had Ben through. Franklin flipping you off. Step ahead. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, this and just sold like hotcakes in the <laughs> era of um, of uh, the work shirt. Yeah, he yeah. had those work shirts yeah, back yeah. in the day. Right. Right. Hot thing. And uh, so anyway, I, I connected with him there, and, and he took... We also uh, either, knew... Uh, we knew... I mean, you had... You were in Philly, and so Kid Dynamite... Uh, Dr. Dan. That was just after that. Yeah. yeah. So right after Step Ahead ordered up those shirts, we probably broke up or played a few shows with Kid Dynamite or something. Right in that same zone, I, I became friendly with Yeeman, who Maddie knew through Lifetime. Lifetime. And Kid Dynamite was really tearing things up. And I was their t-shirt guy. And yeah. they were also playing with Sick of It All. So it was this really pretty small world. Mm. But to me, Maddie was this like seasoned veteran. At that point, he was he was either you were either quitting the Boston's to, yeah. to work totally on Dogwig, or you were, because this is probably 2000. I was oh, sorry, done. Sorry, yeah. 1999. Right. So you were done. I My touring, my last tour was 1998. Well, right. I, I then won out of retirement, John, but um, I had finished touring in 1998. I, with the boss, I did a whole year with the Boston's and, and uh, so really from like, 92 getting like getting in my own van in 92 to wrapping it up in 1998 um after going to south america was touring the world with the Boston's and then going to south america was sick of it all and, and i was like i have this t-shirt thing that's kind of happening i should probably go work for myself like i can carry this luggage band luggage forever but it's not gonna help me out that much Benny, you remember the the barrier of entry when you're in in high school bands, mm-hmm. and, and you know it was tough. Like I didn't know any way in. Right. I knew at that point to me, like Maddie, I'm talking to him on the phone and trying to order up t-shirts. You know, I don't know my head from a hole in the ground. I probably had I probably had like two pairs of free Vans given to me. Like I, it must have seemed like a. a <laughs> no, you're being you're being too modest. I mean, from my perspective, like you had you had been at the eye of the bouncing souls early hurricane, and then you were working for sick of it all at their peak, which to me is like a Philly hardcore kid. I thought like I didn't realize that the truck was probably as big as they had gotten in America. Like to me, I thought they were as big a band as you could sure. conceive of. For and then the Boston's, yeah. yeah. you were out with the Boston's, which to me was like. And I think w- your last tour was that when they really blew up, like they had a ra- the radio hit and stuff. Yeah, I I got I had to w- real uh, condense it real quick. Um, 
So I got the sick of it all job when Scratch the Surface, they they had t- I mean, maybe done one tour for Scratch the Surface. So I was on that cycle of touring, uh, you know, for another like 13 months or something. And then they paused and started to work on the built the last record. And I, I was exposed to the Boston's earlier in 90, 93, 94 with opening with black train Jack. They had actually offered me a guitar tech job then that I turned down because I was, I was like, I'm not, I just, I drive the van and carry shit. Like I tune the guitar. Like I'm not a guitar tech. Um, And they were like, you should work for us. Our guy's having a baby. Like come work. Like, and I didn't do it. And I was very, I was, I was entrenched with loyalty with Ernie and and shit. And I was like, this is where I got to be. And I said, I'd be here. So, um, but they would call periodically and be like, Oh, our fucking guitar tech's flaking out. Like, what are you doing next year? And I'm like, Oh my God, sick of it. I was taking a year off to write a record. I'm there like, boom. And I would jump onto this Boston's gig and, and then it would be winding down. I'd be like, Oh, the uncertainty of my next thing. I guess I'm, I got, I, I have this part-time shirt gig and I'll, I will clean the toilets at the melody <laughs> and, you know, and do like fill in barback shifts. Um, and then like it just, I got so lucky. The, the cycles were just opposite. And then, you know, Boston's finish. And they were like, we're going to make a record, which ended up being that uh, let's face it record. And I got in sick of it all goes, we're on, we're hitting the road. It's uh, it's time for uh, fuck built the last record. Good looking out. Here we go. Jump back over there. And then the end of 1997, was the sort of the end of that cycle for sick of it all. And we were finishing a tour with uh, misfits, Jerry's misfits and H2O had come across the country, uh, finishing up at Christmas time at a freezing fucking cold Birch Hill nightclub. Mm. Um, I, I distinctly remember Kyle Rogg and, and Kate coming to the show together, standing outside freezing. Um, <laughs> and then getting, being like, fuck, I'm, I'm like a couple days later in South Carolina, like this is the last show. And my, <laughs> my beeper went off with a, a 617 number. And okay. Um, and then I called back and it, it's Boston's being like, we're going to, we're going to Australia in January. And our guy, we just fired the guitar tech. And I was like, yeah. So what time do I have to be at the airport? <laughs> right. Boom. So I, I, and then, so I spent that year of 98 touring internationally with the Boston's, which was sort of the second half of that. Let's face it. Gigantic. What's that's the big impression that I get. Yep. yep, song, yep. Single. And they had done like extensive American touring in 97. And then they post Dickie sort of and Clueless. Yeah. Yeah. We moved past clues. Uh, some, that was like the big Boston, like my first round with the Boston was like someday, I suppose was, right. like, was like that big, that punch him out, big hit. And then, then I got to this, came back around on this trip and I was like, Whoa, someday I suppose is small potatoes. Man. Yeah, sure. It's fucking. So we did like all the international touring in 98, which was Australia and Japan and, and Europe extensively and England and, and, round and round and then mixed in with like um, high dollar college spring break shows and, and flying top of the pops, like all this like kind of hit a level. I was like, wow, I would never thought like for carrying a guitar, I would ever have been here. And 
where do I go from here? Like Elton John, Bill Joel was going to call. Right, like, right, I was right, like, right. The Garden. I was, so I, I kind of had form, for, formulated that I was going to wrap it up at 98. And the T-shirt thing was going a little bit at that nice. point. So uh, that was the encompassment. So Dave came in a little bit after um, after that. It was it was handed to a couple uh, other gentlemen, gave it a crack. And then, and then they were fortunate enough to find a young Philly rat, David Hawkins, uh, <laughs> you know, availability. Which Ma- Maddie sort of took uh, pity on me or, or, or a liking or whatever it was back then. And to me, these were like, these were stars, you know, these were sure. bands that I bought tickets to both nights when they played the truck, you know, sick of it all. Boss tones, the bouncing souls, like all of them. I was like, Holy shit. Like this guy worked for them. That means he knows helmet. He knows rancid. He know like my young mind from, you know, 18 to 20, that was what I was super into. And so Maddie sort of showed me the ropes and was like, look, here's how it works. You know, you, you're sharp enough to, to get it. And you're sharp enough to kind of keep up with the, um, comedic comedic gymnastics of sick of it all or whatever. Yeah, yeah. but he, maddie also told me at one point like hey it, if you have an opportunity to get out of there and work for the souls which it presented itself again that shared bus situation happened where sick of it all and the souls shared a bus i was working for sick of it all and uh which was great i you know i love to make fun and, and tease those guys but i learned a lot and had a great time working for sick of it all but oh, the best getting the opportunity to work with the souls was just, I mean, that changed my life. And and Maddie was a person that I sought counsel. I was like, hey, what do you think? You know, you're buds with them and you worked for Sick of It All. Like you, you kind of know both these camps. And he was like, look, the, the, so, there's nothing like the Bouncing Souls. Mm. Like it's, it's a family. It's totally different. They'll never not look out for you. And then that was true, you know? And so, so to not only get like the nudge, um, from Maddie to go work for Sick of It All, but also the nudge to leave and, and, and go work for the Souls was like really critical. And, you know, we've remained friends. He's printed shirts for every band and musical thing that I've done. And, billion, and, billion. and yeah, tons of stuff. And, and then just also, you know, for me, like Maddie has kind of been a mentor in different ways too, in, in that like he's, I mean, he's, he's much older. Of course. No, but but he's a businessman and and now now now, uh, just just into fifth decade, fifty years old. Yes, Uh, freshly fifty, freshly fifty. But a guy, (laughs) you know, a guy that I could call at different points when when um, opportunities would come along. You know, record contracts or 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 um, you know, like I'm a. I own my own little business as a songwriter and as a performer and stuff. So I can bounce ideas off of him. And, and, and so that's, that's been a really interesting, like at this point, 20 years or something that we've known one another. I mean, that was 1996 yeah. when I probably first called looking for those Ben Franklin. Yeah. Shirts. I was in a, I was in a garage putting them shits up one, like one Wednesday night, like, okay, I have a job. I have to do 36 shirts. When should I start? Yeah. <laughs> 36 I'm gonna, pieces. I'm going to start after Jeopardy. Six to <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to watch Jeopardy. Then I'm going to go down a series of print. Those shirts we probably out. gave away 14 beautiful and sold uh, another 11 or whatever that right. math is. I don't maybe, know. Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe tossed a few there are in, in uh, Adolf's parents' closet. So, right. Uh, right. <laughs> the, the, a good uh, the thing. One thing and about sick of it all and and getting that gig and and 
I mean, they were larger than life to me coming up as a kid and going to shows and like the, the, what I, Craig currently is, um, (laughs) (laughs) those teeth, um, (laughs) teeth are still larger than life. So, and they were like, to me, it was just the pinnacle of New York hardcore. You know, a lot of the bands had had broken up and and had faded off. This is, they had the coolest fucking logo. and, And you're like, these guys, and they were like, they were like, it was like having four of the coolest big brothers you could ever have. When you were, and when you like, were going out with them, like what's, what's like a, a singular moment or a, a singular happening where, <laughs> where, where this thing really just stood out to you like that? Well, from the very beginning, like one of the first, the, one of the first gigs that I worked selling merch for them was a show at the limelight. Mm-hmm. So it had to be like, it was either the, it must've been the very beginning of 1995 and the limelight would occasionally have these shows. Right. And I don't, I can't remember who the fuck opened and, but they were on the scratch the surface, scratch the surface had come out. And so they'd done a little bit of touring in the U S before that. And so here's this big ass New York show and the fucking place is just packed with people. And there are like, multitude of attractive fucking cool women at the thing like and sick of it all like knows how to greet people and say hello and kiss women on the cheek and and they have fucking hair cuts that are nice you know like they like they're like i'm like holy shit this isn't some fucking dirt bag jersey like i'm a jersey dirt bag like and these guys and then, they were like the mob they felt like the mob dude, or it something. was like five robert de niro's even there's only four of them it's like <laughs> and, and, and like fuck man and, and and so i was selling the merch and like i was they were like grooming me for this merch job like you have to understand like when we go to europe it's gonna be 10 times busier than this you might have to get a gun you might like get a fucking Get a pair of handcuffs and a and a briefcase that you can lock to your wrist. Like all these, and I was like, all right, yeah, fuck, whatever I got to do. Like I was like, and no one, it doesn't even matter. Like if you have to work and you, and you work all day and you sell all this shit and then you get order more and you put all the money in this box and and no one will fuck with you because you got five fucking Robert De Niro killers in in the body of four people that are fucking and they're just <laughs> destroying. They're on stage destroying fucking as a hardcore band. Like I was like, like that was. That was like the first moment, you know, like, holy shit. But, and, and so from, from a, a working standpoint, a visual standpoint, a music standpoint, and like these guys hit the stage with fucking on fire times a million, you know, and the whole place, like, you're like, oh shit, like this is New York hardcore in New York right now. And it matters. It still matters. You know, this is not a fucking mm. reunion. This is not this other weird shit. This is not some only play the fucking seven inch. Like, nope, this is happening and is blowing minds and fucking people want it. Like the, this is like, this is like cool people are here, you know, like, right. this place is packed. also just like for context, it, it, you know, it, back then when that was happening, it felt every bit like we were like, we thought that was going to, blow up in the same way grunge did yeah, and it had right. it really almost had that opportunity to kind of like it was right on the mainstream a lot of these <laughs> bands had major label deals yeah. and thousands of people were coming and it was generating such excitement like i'm not exactly sure why 
it well, I mean, I have my theories on on why it didn't connect in that way where it went like truly haywire like like the Bostones or whatever. But at the time, that energy he, you're talking about, Maddie, was like it was, was palpable. You could it, feel it was, in every yeah. room. It was like crazy. everybody wanted, like everyone I had ever met in New York, and, and was like, they all wanted. They, everyone was trying to be at the show. It was like guestless, cra- everything crazy. You know, it was like it was a, that moment was was like light the match. This shit is is blowing up, and and so that was super cool from from that standpoint to see it like that. And I was like selling, like I was selling shirts as fast as my hands could move, and I'm like, oh my god, like. We might not have enough. Like we, these guys have fucking windbreakers. Like God damn, this is cool. You know, this dragon is everywhere. It's so fucking cool. Did you actually and, and, ever see one of those guys like pull a Robert De Niro, like something real smooth, real tough? Oh, I, I seen yeah, I seen a couple tough things and 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 plenty <laughs> of cool things. But uh, and Maddie participated in a few, which I won't bring up in this particular <laughs> setting because I don't know if about. Yeah. Statues limitations. Yeah, yeah, but I let's just say one. Okay, I can I can do this without Uh-oh. saying oh, anybody's Christ. names. But I went to see the Warp Tour first year. This oh, is before. Lord. This was like a crappy. This is nice. Um, I let me let me tell 96. one other story before you tell that. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, right. yeah. So, but when you ask about a singular moment, one that came before that show. Ah, oh, my UPS man's here. I gotta nah fuck him. He can the door's locked. He can just drive away. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> big business. Um I was I was so this other we were doing this Black Chain Jack opening slot for Sick of It All, and we're I got nothing. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, we're good. Um, That's Ernie at the door. What are you saying? What is going on? What are you doing? Um, and we're so we're like we're like making our way back from the Midwest, Kansas, somewhere. And Blackstone Jack had this like short bus, con- converted short bus, and, and we drove in and slept in it, and, and seemed like a great idea. Never is never any band, <laughs> anyone who listens to this, do not buy a small school bus and think it's a good idea. To That's your kiss of death, Benny. Forget it. <laughs> they so, show up in those short yellow buses. Yeah, you know totally. it. They'll be staying at your house after that. <laughs> fucking, not, that thing needs a, 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 a rear main seal and fucking and brake shoes every minute. So, <laughs> so we're like, and we're like the St. Louis and, and, and these Clevelands and these fucking misbegotten Midwestern places. And it's December. So it's cold as fucking can be and sick of it all has a tour bus and you know i'm driving this thing all night like you know you take off and you're like i'm gonna follow the bus as far as we can and shit so after a couple nights we were we were positioned to stay in some city pittsburgh or cleveland and it was like minus nine degrees Ooh. and so this guys from sick of it all barely knew me from fucking anybody said come in the hotel we have we have a we have one room in the hotel and everyone else is going to stay in the bus um come in the hotel if you want to get a shower or whatever and then do not sleep in that van you got to sleep in the bus and i was like oh no i'm prepared like i'm fucking i'm from new jersey and i'm I'm tough and i have like a a real deal sleeping bag like i'll be fine Mm -hmm. and they're like no everyone Everyone in your uh, your guys, the band guys, everyone, 
we're staying, four of us are staying in the hotel or five of us are staying in the hotel, sleep in the bus. And I was like, all right, these guys don't, they know Ernie, they know those guys better than me and, and, and shit. I was like, they just invited me into their home. Yeah. You know, and we're like, we're concerned you'll be a fucking frozen New Jersey third ass popsicle yeah. by tomorrow. <laughs> and, and, and so that moment very, very, very early in our time was, was poignant and, and, and mattered to be like, wow, these guys, they're, they're, they have the goatees and the whole thing. And then you know, it's clobbering time, but now it's time to, to come inside and actually be warm and not freeze to death. So it's like Robert and, De Niro at the end of Meet the Parents. It was very, very, <laughs> yeah, softened up, you know, took right. a moment. So they were, it was very kind that, that they were, you know, they were, you suddenly got to see, like, these are human beings who are very thoughtful. Um, all the stage stuff is, is you know, and all the hardcore is music and everything. They're like, you're going to fucking free in that piece of shit yellow bus. You're going to freeze. I don't care. Get in the van, get in this other bus, come in, have like, have a slice of Domino's pizza and, and then just wow! See, they never gave me any pizza. Uh, see. <laughs> well, I was I was fortunate. I was good work ethic. Was fortunate to be offered a piece of pizza and uh, yeah. and a and a, but, and a, and a, and a stuff, and a, Dave. You didn't get to that point. Yeah. Was his soul's yeah. thing that one of the one of the selling points? Pete Steinkoff goes, "Look, man, come over work for us. We'll give you." $300 a week raise, and we're going to share the pizza. Yeah. I can't believe those guys don't share the pizza. Yeah. That was an actual thing that was said to me. As if I needed any reason to call Maddie and go, hey, should yeah. I work for these guys? Like that yeah. $300 more dollars a week yeah. was 85% raise. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I just thought, yeah, but these guys are the kings of hardcore. Maddie's like, yeah. I, I Look, I got... I, in most of my life, I've been fortunate to, to be showed up at the right time for certain things, and and they were Hell yeah they were just you know this record was selling they were touring you know the label was supporting it there was a bus the shows were fucking packed like there was enough pizza to go around you know <laughs> it, it was it was a, Lou gave me some pizza yeah, I'll be yeah, honest yeah. Lou did so give me some you had pizza. you had to get you had to endure mild hassle but but you would get it no I hear a kid here all right this is a very slide. positive story I enjoyed but give <laughs> yeah. me this warped tour story okay all right. Okay. Now I, I'm not going to name any names, but I no. will say that I was I was okay. I'm 18, 17. I'm at the Warp Tour. Oh. I'm there for Quicksand. I'm there for Sick of It All. I'm there for the Goats. Is that that? Show? And I'm there yeah. for yeah, yeah. Remember, it was in the Camden uh, parking lot or whatever the uh, oh, of the Tweeter Center. And uh, there's a man in in the pit who's clearly from somewhere in Pennsylvania <laughs> that's not Philadelphia. <laughs> okay, and he's about. To me, he's nine foot tall, so he probably was only six foot. Ten, but ten. <laughs> Some Bethlehem type. Ten foot. He was unbelievably big and strong and tattooed with various white power kind of, um, you know, tats. He's one of these guys. And you're like, you know, when you're my size, you're like, oh, I thought we were going to get in the pit for sick of it all and have a good time. No. And this guy is beating the shit out of everyone. Right. And not only was he, you know, big and strong, but he was clearly filled with hate. You know, he's a guy, he's a skinhead guy yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm crumbed. I'm trying to do my moves that I, <laughs> I learned from the sick of it all yeah. video. You, you get know, that, the pizza that, maker. That, that Pete Cola stomp that 
One foot up, two foot down. That's right. Mm -hmm. The various floor punches and things. Well, I'm just getting mowed over and all my friends are getting mowed over. So I kind of retreat a couple rows back and watch Sick of It All just lay waste in New Jersey. And I'm I'm recovering from my various dances (laughs) over as they they finish up, right? And this man is menacing around. You know, he's like looking for whatever next fight he can get into. Well, as if they're not the most wonderful hardcore band filled with vim and vigor, amazing songs, amazing performance, great goatees, big muscles, right? Handsome, athletic. One of the gentlemen who was just playing the show, which will go unnamed, and and one of his henchmen jump off the stage and deliver a vicious beating to this giant. Wow. Yeah. So you're fa- you're there to see your favorite band. You have a little bit of a bummer by this big white power goon. And these guys bring street justice to this wow. man. This was right in front of you. And I'm going, I'm going, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking they saw what we saw. This mean bully <laughs> in the pit who is who is menacing people and he's white power. So they just decided to take matters into their own hands. This is truly a New York hardcore institution these guys are street justice and they're doling it out exactly to the right guy well obviously there's a whole backstory this guy had beat up some friend of theirs or girlfriend or whatever i learned all this later when i worked for him because i told this story to the band (laughs) and to uh and to our our, you know our guest here on the podcast today did you have anything to do with that i mean one of them pulled out a rubber hose and beat this man about the head and chest (laughs) it was so fucking cool to me as a as a 16 year old 17 year old kid whatever i was and 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 then i you know obviously when you work for them you see all kinds of crazy shit there's there's people getting beaten up there's i mean there's tons of of stories like that but that was one for me no there's not tons of stories like that uh uh, stories (laughs) who knows what's true right but this this i saw with my own eyes i can't exactly (laughs) remember which band member it was i definitely can't remember which guy um Road crew member. <laughs> Road was. crew member went down with him with the rubber hose. I can't quite recall who that was either, but I will say it was such a glorious doling out of punishment. There, uh, there was that the, the that incident. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, go ahead, take a breath. <laughs> so, growing, we've covered most of my early life. And so if I was a, a boxer, my professional fight record at this point was like, had to be like zero and 16. <laughs> and, and so when I, so now I've been indoctr- indoctrinated in this, in this, with the Kings from Queens of New York hardcore <laughs> and, and was, had probably, my professional fight record was now one in 16 because after some festival skirmish in Europe and, and I was like emboldened, like, yo, yeah, feeling good. Yeah. Like if, if we got, if we got a fight, like I can fuck some people up, you yeah. know? And so there was an incident, a previous incident and it had led to, to, to some, some grief and, and, and like the show ended, the, whatever those things were like 30 minute sets ended. Yeah. Right. And then, Pete, the, Pete handed me the guitar and Craig handed me the bass and I was putting them, you know, to the side to like get our crap off the stage. And someone said, uh, the gentleman Dave described is here. 
and we're going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and the next thing out of uh, any of the band members' mouth was, are you coming? Uh, and I put those, I put those guitars down and said, yeah, like, yeah, right, sure. Fuck yeah. Like I'm coming. Want to keep your and job. Does anyone you- have a length yeah. of hose? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Luckily, a, a, a man who worked on the drum tech position was able to find a very, very strangely put in a Camden parking lot piece of PVC pipe <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 feel free to edit any of the shit out. Um, but oh, is you? It's your liability, not ours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what was the name? Of my, what was the address of my company again? Um, <laughs> right, right. So exactly. this, th- I mean, this was a, a real scuffle that that it ended it ended poorly for the gentleman. And and uh, yeah, that was a it was a heavy situation. And, and it's interesting that that Dave can can have seen that from. The spectator's eyes, because I saw. Oh, from- I was standing over that guy like Chris Tucker, like when he got picked <laughs> up by the band and the crew. I was like, "Damn, you got knocked the fuck out!" Yeah, yeah. I, was so, yeah. I was so pumped. There was because I of- thought you guys were just doing us a favor, like, "Oh, we really well, are with the yeah, crowd." That's this some altruistic yeah. superhero shit in you. Yeah, this is like, yes, yeah, like like yes. I mean, someone said it's actually clobbering time now, and and yeah. and it happened. So it was like everything you thought about the band, yeah, you know, as a as a Philadelphia hardcore fan came true in that one moment maddie do, do you um do, uh no you know what never mind no, go ahead. We'll go leave, ahead. we can leave the story at that because the, the questions i have for you are probably better off that, off uh, i that, disagree we, i think that they're better off we, actually well liability is a thing Listen, we're know, like 90 minutes was, into going off yeah. track yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if people are still hanging on to every word by now, like, yeah, like you got right. a lawyer on the horn if, or something. If, if you need, you guys are fine. If I need to plead the fifth, I'll, I can. Go ahead. What do you got? Well, I mean, there was fallout from that, right? Yeah. Like, wasn't yeah. weren't they like not invited back to the Warp Tour for some years? There was no. There was fallout soon. in terms of uh, possible legal. Uh, there was there was a lawsuit. There was. Um, Right, right. There was questions of whether assault charges would be filed. Um, there was some. There was. Oh fuck, man! This, there was. There so, would have been a thousand witnesses saying it never happened. Of course, every yeah. every well, punk rock kid from Philly and Jersey that was there was so pumped well, to see that goon take his beating. Probably just alongside of your Ambler ass, right there, Roxboro <laughs> was a, a kid from fucking. <laughs> Maniunk with a camera snapping uh, away uh, at the, at this incident, uh, and and oh, um, man, some months later, a, a, a I guess faxed copy of photographs, you know, come through. Like we should have uh, thrown them in the schuylkill. <laughs> yeah, there was another. There, I mean, there was just, <laughs> there was some. Justice directed his way as well. It, it, <laughs> oh, um, it, it was a real. Yeah, like, I'll keep that. I'll keep like, we'll I just do, took a racketeering charge. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but the, the band the band had a legal problem with that. And this man, this I would say, this man was a villain. He was a true villain. Uh, yeah. Not a good person. And and. This this was, this was a street justice situation, but the, the band paid a price for it um, with with uh, 
Yeah, with cash. And those, yeah. You know, those big dumb pricks always sue. Yeah. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Like you're all tough until you take one. And, and so funny, I, I can give you two more stories that I can I can tell better than, than that. One is real short. Um, we were working in, we were at the, uh, familiar with the PWAC in Long Island? Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So Sickle and I was doing a show. Maybe we were just doing a quick weekend gig or some shit. And uh, we're out there. And a guy was giving Lou a rough time. I'm sure he was high on LSD or some shit, but he's he's constantly, you know, grabbing it, grabbing at Lou in, in oh, a bad way. Yeah. And, and and you're like, you, you know, you, you do your roadie, you know, wife beater walk over there and be like, kind of push the guy a little bit. Like, yo, fuck off, man. Yeah. Chill. And, uh, you know, you adjust your chain wallet after. And, and, <laughs> and so, but this guy's mental. Something's wrong with him. And so Lou kind of gives a look to the side like, yo. I was like, this guy's like grabbing, he's grabbing, fuck him, you know, fuck him. This guy has to get dealt with. <laughs> and so I grabbed him and, and, and our drum tech TS, we, we grabbed him and yanked him from the crowd, ranked him up onto the stage and, and then dragged him to the back and, you know, dealt with it. Not a big beating or anything, but quickly dealt with. Like the guy realized he was in, he was in problem area. Now he was behind the stage with two guys that were ready to punch his face in. And, uh, Threw him out the back door and and Stormy Shepherd, legendary Stormy Shepherd yeah, yeah. of of Leave Home Booking, was at the show. Always who had always booked sick of it all. And at the end at the end of the night, we're loading the gear, and she's like, "Oh yeah, who's fucking? If there's Saint Stormy. the definition of nice times a hundred, it's Stormy." And, and she was like, "I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you guys. The way you just dealt with that, like." And I was like, "Oh." <laughs> Oh man, that's better. Like, I guess, you know, good to not jump off the stage with both feet under the guy's head and all such <laughs> things, you know, like, like, which was not, which is not my nature and stuff. And we, and, and so I was like, Oh man, we did it right. Like stormy, a nice person approved of what we did. Like we, we did something right and this won't be a problem and shit. So that was one instance where, where the justice was obviously when, when you get a kid from Buffalo and a kid from Jersey, you know, the, the justice is the di- justice style is way down from like 10. Um, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so another, another uh, water, watershed moment for me was we were in Europe, we we're in England and all through the scratch the surface period, sick of it all was very, very always had been very popular in Europe, very popular all over Europe and England and, and had, had MTV exposure and to the point that, people bootlegged the t-shirts and would show up and sell bootleg t-shirts outside the show. Mm. And this had happened in Berlin where MAD Mark's booking agency was. And, and so a couple guys threw a table up in Berlin on some previous tour and were selling bootleg sick of it all t-shirts. And they ran into some of Berlin's finest uh, heavy hitters and quickly street justice was done upon them and sent them home to wherever no one knew really where they were from, but broken and bruised and to not do not be fucking around selling fake merchandise outside of the Sigurdal show. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so months, some months later, different tour We're we're doing a show in Manchester, England, Civ and H2O are, are on the tour with us. And they're on a different bus and, and it was at a university up high, like the fourth floor 
rec room of some university. Dick Dale was playing on the third floor on the same night. Nice. It was kind of a weird mix of people around. Um, so we're packing up the show. The show just ends, packing up the gear, and someone comes over to from a window and says, like, hey, they're – those kids outside are smashing the bus. Oh. And we're like, oh, what? fuck. Like, and then, you know, a couple people go running off. And, you know, so there's extra, there's extra element of New York hardcore guys there from the other bands and shit. And, and uh, so, and Lou tell, tell, Lou was there and he's like, he's like, yo, break down the gear. Something's up. It's these t-shirt bootleggers are here. There's a whole slew of them. They're trying, they're, they're going to try to fuck us up. Break down all the gear, get all the gear sorted out. So we hustle through that and get everything kind of packed. And, and then, you know, people are running in different directions and shit. And so as the road crew, we were finally like, yo, fuck this, man. If, if shit's going down, we're going down swinging. So we go downstairs through this, pushed our way downstairs and, and, and outside where the bus is parked. And, and now the show is over. So there's like four or 500 kids scattered about. And there's a real air of chaos, like mm. borderline riot. You wow. know? And you can't tell who's who and what's going on. There's like piles, of, there's random piles of t-shirts like on the ground and big, wow. big piles of posters and shit. And so, you know, you're getting these, like someone's yelling, like, you know, Pete yelling to you like these fucking bootlegger fucks tried to, they, they, they tried to throw the fucking through the bus. And, and you're like, fuck these guys, you know, let's fuck them up. And so we're like running up to everyone who's there and like grabbing the whole, like, who the fuck are you? And the kid's like, oh man, I was, I was just, a, I love the band, but I was at the show. And you're like, all right, get out of here. You know, you're like sorting everyone out in, in, into like, who the enemy, who's the enemy and, and shit. And it turns out these guys had come prepared, you know, they showed up out in front of the show, bunch of bootleg shit, 10 or 12 dudes, ski masks, a couple guys with bats. Yeah. They were trying, they were trying to, they were trying to bash in the windows of the bus, um, which ended up being Civ and, and, and the H2O bus. And somebody, wow. so somebody had gotten alerted and was like, Oh, these guys are like, they're like fucking with the, the bus tires and trying to break the windows shit. and shit. And, uh, the early troops had gone out the front door, Craig, Pete, and uh, Smokey from H2O, Smokey who played bass in H2O, oh, yeah. um, uh, from Zero Tolerance. And so they had, like, delved into the crowd and ran up to the boot. Like, Pete Cole was running up to these guys with armfuls of T-shirts. Like, Give me the fucking shirts! You know, and it's like, so it's like having a pit bull right in your face. Right, you know? right. And, and these kids, so these guys, some of these guys are, like, dropping the shirts and running away. And, and Pete scoops up the shirts and runs inside. And, and, uh, and then... And and Craig has a, a fucking mic stand and, and this guy comes at him with a baseball bat with a ski mask on Whoa. and they're doing like a full on Darth Vader fucking <laughs> lightsaber battle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um Toby knocked the guy out and, and Smokey's knocking Smokey's just walking up to everyone. He's wearing dicky shorts, no shirt, and probably been drunk for three days, walking up to anyone. <laughs> It's like, who are you? Like, it's like, are you fucking met? we're sick of it all and, and <laughs> dropping people left and right and shit. So it sounds like gangs in New York. <laughs> it was, it was a mayhem. And so we get there a little bit late and, and, and guys are kind of running away and, and some people run it still, you know, running towards us. And, and uh, there's a big bin of giant English beer, bottle, recycling beer bottles, huge. And I'm like, fuck, grab this, you know? Like T.S. has a, 
hi-hat stand in his arm and 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 uh i'm like right by me and pete cole are like side by side i'm like oh we're like running into battle and uh this guy's this guy with a ski mask points at us and he goes you're fucking dead mate you're fucking dead and i throw this beer bottle and it hits the guy dead in the chest and, you know from like 40 feet away Good shot. knocks him to Amazing. Like none of this should <laughs> never happen again. It hits him like he go, falls to the ground and he gets up and he's, and he's like a little shocked and he goes, you're fucking dead, mate. And he's putting the finger, like making his gun and his fingers into a gun and pointing it at his temple. He's like, you're fucking dead. And I just see Pete windmills fucking arm, like Nolan fucking Ryan. And this bottle hits the guy so hard oh. upside the head. Bang. Like he, Ooh, like his feet, like his feet come unglued and he comes off the ground, like bang, you know, and then we're just running forward. Like, and you could now it's all sorted out. Like the kids are off to the side and the bootleggers are running for the Hills and, and us and Siv's crew and, and, and H2O are throwing bottles and, and kicking it. If anyone stumbled, they're getting their ass kicked and shit. And we're scooping up like dozens and dozens of bootleg t-shirts and posters of 300 <laughs> posters in the street. And, and then, <laughs> So the, the whole thing ends. So you guys are stealing the bootleg shit. Yeah, stole it all back. Dude, we gave it. We gave it away to all the kids that were at the show. Like we're like, anyone who wants a shirt, you can have a shirt. Anyone who helped like, in the beatdown. Anyone who got shirt. <laughs> anyone who got punched by accident. Yeah. Like you know, and and, um, and and so the cops show up, and you know the bobbies, the bobbies, yeah, English, <clears throat> and they. They're like, all right, what's happened here now? And uh, and and we're like, oh, these guys were bootlegging T-shirts, but um, all of our fans from the show knew that that was bullshit, so they kind of rioted and beat them all down and, and <laughs> chased them out. <laughs> and the guys like, so these cops are like, you understand that the T-shirt bootleggers are run by organized crime, yeah. And Manchester oh. is the home base yeah. of this oh. operation. Right. And whatever's happened to you will not end wow. tonight. And we're like, oh, really? Like, if that, I mean, they must have sent the fucking junior varsity or something. Like, and the, <laughs> these cops are like, like, you, you have to leave town. Where are you going? Where's your next show? Like, you're going to need a police escort. Like, you, yeah. these guys will come, these maniac hooligans will come and fuck with you, you know? And so it's like Peaky Blinders are, are yeah. going to be after. We're going straight into like um, uh, fucking the the bad guys from Snatch. You know these yeah, right, these right. marble mouth, <laughs> gun toting English. And uh, so suddenly we're like, oh, I guess we, get, we better take this seriously, you know. And so the cops are like, pack up your gear, get in. We'll drive you to the hotel. We'll drive with you. Cops will come with you to the hotel. Like, and then you should call the hotel where you're staying tomorrow and go there early and. Make sure that you can, you know, maybe they have a security guard or you can have a cop parked by the bus wow. and at the venue, like this whole fucking thing. And we were like, wow, these guys came to Berlin and got their arms broken. And then they tried to come for revenge with, with baseball bats and ski masks. And they got whooped again. <laughs> as like, they're the soupiest organized crime motherfuckers <laughs> I ever heard of. I, I was like, I was like, we were bouncing beer bottles off their heads, you know, and, and, and all this shit. I was like, all right. And then, you know, the rest of the, everything proceeded without incident, like the next couple of shows in England. Yeah. And, uh, 
And, and so, but then like years later when, when um, Chunks was working with Green Day and stuff and I was like, oh, you ever deal with this teacher? He's like, oh, we have a guy. The Green Day hires a guy to deal with them. Oh, he, like, like an insider? Whoa. Like a, like a crazed cowboy that shows up in a, in a fucking Cadillac and then like lifts up the carpet in the trunk and there's, you know, four machine guns whoa. and shit. And I'm like, whoa, how do you what? get a guy like that in England? You know? And, and he's like, this is a serious thing. Like, you know, like that bootlegging goes on and the people that do it are bad news. And so you hire a professional and, and, and he goes around and, and, you know, protects the situation. And I was like, damn, we've, we fucking got the little league version of that, you know, (laughs) by the way, you know what, you know, the funny irony about this is you guys are risking life and limb fighting off t-shirt yeah. bootleggers in a parking lot in Manchester yeah. wherein you could be killed. Right. You're in a foreign country. Yeah. And then all the while you're on a major label. Basically stealing from you every single day, yeah. Yeah. every yeah. single minute. The real this is they're stealing crime. money. Yeah. <laughs> this is the way our brains work. You know? Yeah, right. Like, well, let's take down. We're going to, we're going to, these guys could make a whole thousand bucks yeah. off of us. Yeah. I got to say, <laughs> Robert He's De Niro got... might have figured out a way to work with them, you know? Uh, you that's know? right. That's right. <laughs> Tell you what, these guys, and they, they, like, whoever went out the fucking door of the club first, and these, these guys were there, and someone said, you know, they're like, the guy with the bat and the mask is like, Tell sick of it all, the fucking dead tonight, man. They're fucking Whoa. dead, you know? And some, so someone like, ran in and was like these guys no oh my god you know and and those guys barged out the front door like like fucking gangbusters man man craig craig ended up swing craig was in the sword in the lightsaber battle with the guy (laughs) and he ended up Smokey was making a run back for the door of the club after after dropping about two or three guys and uh and craig caught him out the corner of his eye at the last second didn't realize it was Smokey. And he hit Smokey with the mic stand. Oh no! Oh. On the and, and Smokey got his arm up at the last second, so it hit him on like the inside of his bicep. And for like the next three days, his arm turned oh. different colors. Oh, <laughs> and he's like, "Fucking Craig, hit me with the thing!" You know the the thing. He's like, he's like, we were. He's like, kid, kid, we were in fucking battle. We were heated in battle. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I could look. I, I'm, my re- 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 reflexes are not. Uh, uh, you look, you come at me, come at me from nowhere. I'm doing a sword fight, kid. Yeah. <laughs> I guess and the so, stand was a useful a, weapon. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing a sword fight. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and so this was this was cat. You know, this was like, and, and so you know, you went from minute to minute. Like that this could happen. Tough. Let me yeah. give you a highlight of how tough that is because. I had a similar experience. Gasly was playing a show in, I want to say Bristol, because it was somewhere yep. we hadn't been too much. And uh, and the same exact thing. Like, I had seen some funky people around the front of the venue, and then I was taking a walk, and I saw a bunch of people setting up shit outside. Yeah. And yeah. I go inside, and I'm like, yo, rally up. Like, we got to, yep. like, we got to go. Justice. Like, yeah, like, we got to go talk to these dudes. Like, that's <laughs> fucked up. Like, you know, and yep. and quickly, someone from the venue was like, "Oh, yo, you don't want to mess with the people selling your shirts. Like, you're better off just like letting it Eat go. It. Like, yep. you don't want that kind of right. trouble." And of course, I'm like, "Oh, 
Oh, all right. Right. Yeah. So that's where it ended right. for me. That's why you single roll is a lot tougher. Come on, than I Benny. You didn't. You, you didn't get a mic stand and a high stand. I did Go not. On. I just continued on. on with my night. <laughs> Rose Amelia looks over from his, his the bong hit that he's taking. He, tight, he, goes, he pulled the draw, he, he pulled the drawstrings on his hood a little bit tighter and said, hey, "Well, if we have to go to battle, I'm ready. Sleaze, get sleaze, you know." Yeah, he, yeah. he's the only. He, yeah, we had a couple battlers, but yeah, yeah we didn't. It we didn't get true. a chance. I can't. I could never find them when I needed it. It was a, a bizarre. You know, these oh. things just happen in bizarre. It's too ways. funny, man. It's interesting though, because like you, you kind of came from like the last era. Because like with Green Day and all those bands making punk super popular, you know, mainstream or whatever, like you come from the era right before then. Yeah. It was still, all that stuff was uncharted and dangerous and and still kind of like, um, uh, you know, not, there was no roadmap. Yeah, paving the way still. Yeah, yeah, by yeah. the time Gaslight or anything we did, you know, I've done or the loved ones or whatever, like most of that stuff had been ironed out. Like you had somebody at the venue who would say, hey, there's going to be right, bootleggers, right, just let it ride. Right. But like you guys were pioneers in that way. And Maddie, you worked for a bunch of pioneering kind of sure. bands yeah. as the scene went from this like niche thing into, into you know, the the center of, of whatever it was, the zeitgeist. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe your experience I mean, is the reason I did not fight the English mob. So yeah, totally. So and I, I mean, I just got lucky. Like I said, my good fortune and and timing collided in my life. Thanks to you for being the uh, person that we can all call about eight hours before we need anything. <laughs> and you'll be like, yeah, sure. No yeah, problem. Totally. I'll ruin my say- night, but. Don't worry, I'll, uh, I'll get it taken yeah, care good. of for you. Maddie, I need 36 <laughs> Ben Franklin. <laughs> Love you guys. Maddie, thanks, man. Love to you all. Thanks for having me. Hey, it was good to chuckle it up. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> My goodness, Brad. If you're sick of it all, fan, go back and listen to the episode that we did with Lou and Pete. I mean, I thought that that episode had some real revelations. <laughs> yeah, but dude, no way! <laughs> didn't touch, didn't touch Maddie's stories. You I can't listen believe to it they, anyway, though. <laughs> listen, I saw the exact people that Sick of It All took on. Like I said in that story, yeah, same situation happened to me. I scoped it out. I saw <laughs> it, and I mean, it's fascinating that they took it on. It's just a hands-on approach. This is what. This is what makes people from Queens unique and special. Okay. <laughs> so I'm half a Queens person. And this is why. But it um, was it was spicy, Brad. It was very spicy. Get yeah. it? <laughs> Perfect segue. You're a good segueer. Thank you. Segueer. Well, speaking of spice. If you like us and you like hot food. <laughs> that's right. This episode of Going Off Track was brought by Silk City Hot Sauce a fine hot sauce company from Southern Vermont who uses locally grown peppers to make their hot sauces. Nothing but good organic ingredients. Awesome rock and roll pulp art labels. Just the kind of thing we can get behind. And the hot sauce is delicious. So if anyone would like to place an order for hot sauce and get a free bottle of it and 15% off, you can use our promotional code GOT. At SilkCityHotSauce.com. Yeah, baby. Mm. Love that. Besides for that, we got some fun stuff coming up. 
And uh, I don't know. Well, and I should say that this interview was about twice as long as what you heard. And if you <laughs> right. are, if you find that you are now a Maddie fan, or if you yeah. were a Maddie fan before, or probably if you're if you're a Bouncing Souls fan, you need to become a patron at least long enough to hear uh, the bonus material because there's a lot of there's basically a whole bonus episode from this one, and it's um. Patreon.com slash going off track. Uh, you can hear it there, but you do have to contribute. It'll be yeah. worth it though. Yeah. And thanks to Maddie for taking the time. Thanks for Dave for being a good sport and jumping on with us. Oh, and yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks to all of you for uh, listening to the program. We appreciate it. Yeah. Leave us a, you know, review on iTunes. It, if, you know, if you're listening to Betty, he'll tell you to make it saucy. Uh, what he means by saucy is sexually explicit. Um, and I think the music from the band Silk Sonic that's been coming out is uh, sort of paving the way for people for to be overtly sexual again, wearing silk, covered in oils, doing things the way things should be done. You know what the world needs these days, Brad? It needs romance. Oh, it God. needs sexiness. Yeah, baby. Everything's so cold. Everything's so black and white. You know mm. what I like? I like the saucy red middle of things. That's what I like. <laughs> juicy. Uh, 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 so be juicy and leave us a review on iTunes. That's right. Um, Every time you do, I'll do this Eddie Murphy laugh. And, um, yeah. you know, follow us going off track and Instagram and Twitter. That's always a big help. Let's get those numbers up, man. Become a follower. Yeah. Follow us. <laughs> and um, Be a follower. I think we're going to do this again sometime, aren't we? The road dogs, because I know I want to hear Yeah, for sure. Stories. No, there's, uh, there's some great people out there that I've sat in the back of buses with or shared a beer with or spent some time with that can spin some fucking yarns for you, man. The people behind the scenes, they see it all. They see it all and can can usually take a more honest, honest approach to the to the stories anyway, you know. Let us know if you like this kind of thing because we like doing it and it's just, you know, you can't always have a huge star on, I don't think. I think there's a lot of stories in this business that are better told by those behind the scenes. Yeah, let's take a week off from fucking guitar tones and shit, you know? <laughs> Yuck. All right. All right. See you later. Thanks, everyone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.